Welcome back, everybody. This is Jesse here with Pastor Jeff. He's the pastor here at FBC Kyle. This is the FBC Kyle podcast. Um, today we're going to be going over a few questions uh, related to last Sunday's sermon and a few kind of wild card questions as well. Okay. Um, if you could, could you go over what uh, last Sunday was about? Yeah, we're really talking about new, moving into this new normal. And we went back to the book of Deuteronomy, because back in the book of Deuteronomy, when they came out of the wilderness and got ready to the promised land, that was the ultimate new normal for them. Yeah. They'd been eating manna every day, right? Their clothes didn't wear out. They'd have a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day to God. And all that was going to be gone. It was talking about a new lifestyle in a new place where they'd never been. It was totally different, a radically new normal. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, well, the whole book of Deuteronomy, really, God is give, preparing them for their new normal and what they were going to have to know and what they were going to have to do. And so in the sermon, we went over Deuteronomy, chapter 6, which is really the heart of that preparation. And the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you know that great Shema. And then he goes into, you're going to have to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what you're going to have to do. Yeah. You're going to have to live these things. You're going to have to love God. And then he goes into how to, how to bring your children into this new normal. Um, living the life in front of them. Putting these things of God in, in our hearts. And then teaching them to our children through, through our example. But then through inscribing them on their hearts. Just as Moses inscribed the Ten Commandments on the tablets. So just it was about preparing our hearts for the new normal. Preparing our lives for the new normal. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, we got a, we have a few questions. We don't have that many questions mm -hmm. this week. Um, if y'all ever want to submit your own questions, you can do so. If you're on Facebook and YouTube, um, the comment section is right below whatever video you're watching on there, and you can ask a question during the sermon. As the sermon's going, we'll be able to gather those up and uh, ask them. Uh, on Wednesdays, and if you're on the website watching it through there. You can email it to info at fbckyle.com, and then we'll be able to get your question that way. Um, but the first question we have is, uh, on the days when we feel defeated and overwhelmed yeah. by the new normal, what are some things that we can do to point us back to the Lord? Yeah. You know, I think that's a really great question because we all feel that way um, from time to time. I think one thing to remember is God's called us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we, you know, the idea is we don't let that dictate what we do. We understand that there's things that are, that should really determine our life more than just our situation. And so there's certain things that can help us with that, I think, to keep us in that mindset. And I think one is in Romans 8, 28, where it says that God, it causes all things to work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. So we just need to remember all those, this coronavirus is not from God. And so many of the things in this fallen world are not. God is using it for his glory. God is causing this to work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And there's six or seven very specific ways that God does that. How he causes things like the coronavirus and other things to work for our good. And one of them is that they test our faith. So in times like this, we kind of see what our faith is made of. And the Bible talks about that in uh, 1 Peter 4. Uh, I was looking this up uh, just a little while ago. 
It says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. And so God, in times like this, we can remember God is testing my faith to see what's real, right? Anybody can you know, put on a pretty good front when everything's going yeah. good. But when things get tough, you see what you're really made of. The kind of the fault lines begin to open up. Yeah. And, and then we see what really needs work, what's really real. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Another thing is they mature our faith. And the Bible talks about that over in James. And uh, there's a really good verse over in James. Blessed is the man who per- perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so there's a promise that comes with that. Let me look at, read verse 2 as well. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So God is strengthening our faith. Right now in the midst of this whole situation, God is revealing what our faith is truly like, and then he's strengthening it. And that's a great thing. And that only happens in times of trial. When the Lord wants to strengthen our faith, he'll send us, he'll allow us to go through a trial in our life. Yeah. It strengthens our faith. If, and, I, if I can. Um, yeah, sure. So one of the, like, the questions that's popping into my head is, um, how would you, because um, like, it, it makes sense to us like being Christians mm-hmm. and, and knowing, having the word to yeah. look to and knowing that like, Okay, these things are are going to help me mature in my in my walk with the Lord. Yeah. How would you um how would you kind of present how would you present yeah. this to a non-believer yeah. who who doesn't have who doesn't accept this as as truth and doesn't um like sees these things like yeah. if they're of God then they're it's it's a it's coming from a place of cruelty yeah. and yeah. and unfeeling like how would you how would you explain that to somebody? Yeah, like that? that's a good question because what we're talking about is for believers. Like in that verse in Romans chapter eight, God causes all things to work together, but not for everybody. Yeah, those who love God, right? Yeah. Those who are the called according to His purpose. So He's talking about believers there. So what about unbelievers? Trials have a very different purpose in the life of unbelievers. Because until they know God, these things are not going to happen in their life. But the purpose of trials in an unbeliever's life is to point them to faith in God. That the trials of their life might bring them to the place where they're willing to turn to God in faith. And that's a very different purpose of those trials in that person's life, in an unbeliever's life. And and sometimes people do struggle with this idea of they look at the world and um, human beings have a tendency right, to uh, shake their fist at God and run into the world. Mm. And what we should be doing is shake our fist at Satan and the world that is fallen because of him and run to God. Um, And that's just a human way of looking at it. But they're not going to have that perspective until they have Christ. So trials in the life of an unbeliever, I believe the best thing that can happen in those trials is they can be used of God to turn them to God in faith. Um, sometimes people look at suffering in the world and they do blame God and they wonder how that could happen. I was reading um, in the book of Deuteronomy the other day and it was, what about all those Canaanite tribes? What about 40 or so people groups that were going to be displaced, most of them, or defeated? And God told them to completely wipe them out. Oh, yeah. 
How can the loving God do that? Yeah, ask uh, ask his people to like eliminate a whole other people. A whole other thing. But I think it was in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I, it says specifically why. It's because of their wickedness. Hmm. It's because every one of those people groups had denied God and were in idolatry and the worst forms of paganism. And so God wasn't defeating and displacing innocent people. He was his justice was being acted upon the wicked and so it was it was god's justice that was being exact and not some kind of unfeeling or indifferent thing yeah and i feel like a good clarification on or a add on to that would be like why at why doesn't that happen today like why yeah. doesn't god ask us to go and um i mean the world has if if anything gotten worse or maybe it's the same level it's just yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, why? Why doesn't that? Why doesn't he ask us to do those types of things today? I think his justice is the same. God's justice hasn't. We need to understand that love doesn't just mean having a good feeling towards someone. Um, love is often demonstrated in a holy, right, indignation. If I say I love my wife, and I don't feel badly about something someone or something that's going to hurt my wife um there's something wrong with that Um, god is a god of love and he loves us but it also means that god is going to react with justice and even wrath toward that which destroys that which he loves Mm. and so he and how god um really displays that justice in a different way at different times but the common denominator god is still a just god and it still happens mm. you know it's just it's being displayed in different ways but god is still just he's a loving god but his love means that he's going to react uh, toward that which destroys that which he loves yeah yeah which is it sounds like they were uh, kind of going going the exact opposite direction yeah exactly um, yeah all right next question is uh as believers, are there specific things that should make all of, should mark all of our lives? Are there things that look different from one person to the next? Yeah, I think there really is. I mean, we all have personalities. One thing about the New Testament that's really neat is you see the these guys' personalities. Like uh, Paul writes different from Luke, and you know, and you know, you see their personalities. He, they didn't give up their personalities when they got saved and God used their personalities even when he inspired them to write the epistles. So, I mean, there's a personality aspect of it, but then there's also just common denominator things, uh, you know, just, just basic things. Let me just go over a couple of them that you'll see in all believers. Here's some things that you'll see in all believers. See, these are the common denominators among all believers. Um, the fruit of the spirit is love. They'll have love. And joy. And that's common to all believers that are being led by the Lord. Another one that's a common denominator is peace. And that doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It, sometimes it means peace in the midst of it. So yeah. they'll have this peace that passes all understanding. Like right now, a lot of believers, if, as we're walking with the Lord, God's given us peace. Another one is patience, forbearance. Another one is kindness. Kindness. Goodness. Doesn't this sound just like Jesus? Yeah. It sounds just like Jesus. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. So, and how does that happen? Those who belong to Christ, Jesus Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But we live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. So the things that believers have in common are, is Jesus, the Holy Spirit within us. And so it shows up in all of our lives in these common ways. Yeah. And our personality, right, is still there. But there are certain things that we have in common and that, that non-believers will not have. They just won't have it. In the passage just before that, he goes over some things you can see in the lives of non-believers. Very different. Yeah. Very different. But it, the thing we have in common is Jesus, right? And his Holy Spirit producing the life and personality of Jesus in us. And the more we look like Jesus, the more we look like each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, you ever noticed that to a couple who's been married a really, really long time starts to look like each other? I haven't, I haven't thought about it, actually. I mean, you see some older people sitting in a restaurant. It's like, wow. <laughs> you know, they really look like, listen, we're the bride of Christ. And the more we hang out with Jesus, the more we look like him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we start to look like Jesus, and we start having more and more in common. And that's true in marriages. You know, what's the best way to two people to, to really get close in a marriage relationship? Not to focus on each other. Focus on Jesus, and the more those two become like Jesus, that's God's plan for bringing them together over time. Mm. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, what are some practical ways we can teach our children when, whenever, wherever, and whenever? Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, teaching our children is so important. In that passage in Deuteronomy, it focuses on that. Um, I think the, the most important thing for us is for us to first take these things to heart. It talks about in Deuteronomy. In other words, when it talks about taking the, the lo- loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and might to heart, it means making that the center of our life. The most important thing for us to do to teach our children is for us to be committed to God. You know, we think of what do I need to do, what do I need to teach, what lessons do they need to learn. But the most important thing we can do for our children is to, for our hearts to be really right with God. And when that happens, an amazing thing happens in our children's life. They get their most important lesson. Because their most important lesson will be our life. The life of Christ lived through us in front of them. Children generally are not going to remember what we tell them over the course of 20, 25 years. They will remember who we are. I am 63 years old, and I can describe my father to you. I can tell you exactly what he was like. I can tell you what he loved. I can tell you what was important to him in his life because I saw his life. And that's the most important thing we can ever teach our children is our example. And then after that, then... Once they've seen that example in us, then it's like training up a child. There's a really neat thing, you know, where it talks about training up a child. Um, I read recently where that really is descriptive of something they would do to get a child to eat uh, solid food. They'd put honey on their tongue, this idea of training up a child. And so they'd take that little child, they put a little honey on their tongue, and that tastes good. Yeah. And they'd, you know, be ready to eat more after that. And so this idea of... When they see it in us, when they really see this in us, it's like honey on their tongue. Hmm. I want to be like that, right? Explain that to me. Talk to me about that. 
and then we can share the things of God, you know, with yeah. them. And, and that's done just by p- placing them on the heart. Like if you have a stone tablet, how do you, how do you inscribe things into it? Well, you go over it and over it and over it, and then it becomes indelibly etched in their heart. Um, you know, so, but the most important thing is the example we leave them. When, and when our words don't match our life, our words are like pennies, and our life is like dollars. They just, they're going to look at who we are. And when those two things come in conflict, it sets them up for a conflict later in life. So, um, so there's lots of practical things. Uh, as, when we're living the life, then, you know, it's just expressing. We can be driving in our car with our small children in the car. And, and it's sunset. So what do we say? Who made that beautiful sunset? Hmm. Wow, who made that beautiful sunset? Why do you think he made it so beautiful? Why do you think you're so special? Why do you think there's nobody else just like you? And then we can teach him the things of God. You know, it's just, so it's first our, our example, first our life, we take it to heart, and then it's evident in our life. And then that whets the appetite for teaching the things of God to our children, or what's their appetite for the things of God. Yeah. When it sounds like um, it's less um, say these things to them, you know, yeah. you know, set up these, like, these guidelines and boundaries, which are, I mean, obviously have their place and whatnot, but... Yeah. It sounds like it's more about um, constantly redirecting their focus onto and like redirecting them to Christ and and, and to God and whatnot. Um, which I think I feel like in most things, most things that I feel like the Lord asks us to do are kind of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, and it does seem like uh, when it's you shifting their focus onto the Lord, it like it takes the pressure off you in a sense to make them turn out a certain way, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. And 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 we can't we can't do that. You know, we can't control that. Um God brought two people into the world and both of them messed up. You know what I mean? So the thing of it is is people do have a choice in this. And our children do too. But they're at a definite disadvantage when they haven't seen that example when they haven't been brought up in a home where they've seen the love of Christ. And, you know, we just help them out so much. But I would say this, I would hasten to say this, even a child who's never seen that can be reached by God. Hmm. You know what I mean? Even the child who never saw anything of God in their home, the Lord still loves them and knows them and can still reach them. Hmm. You know, they're not beyond the reach of God, but they're just children who are brought up in in a home where Christ is exalted in all things, I, it just helps them out so much. That's a great gift we give to our children, a wonderful, wonderful thing that we do for them. It, it's, it's so important. You know, wherever the Holy Spirit's working, he is always pointing to Jesus. And that's one of the things. Jesus said, he will testify of me. So when the Holy Spirit's in a home, guess what's happening? Things are being pointed to Jesus mm-hmm. time and time again. The Holy Spirit just keeps redirecting things toward Christ and his love and learning of him and growing in him. Yeah. That's cool. All right. We have one more question on, on the list of questions from the sermon. Um, what is the difference between love as a commitment, not a feeling, 
and legalism. Yeah. Yeah, uh, legal, legalism is trying to attain the favor of God through good works. I would say that the general definition. But the idea is our, there's a place for good works in the Christian life. Um, in Ephesians, we are, uh, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says, for we are his workmanship, created unto good works which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So there is a place for works in the Christian life, but the works are the grateful response to grace. So the things we do for God are a result of our gratitude for what he's done for us. And when we reverse that and start trying to work to gain that grace or to gain that favor, that's legalism. Uh, it's just the opposite of what God wants. Now, how that the idea of love and commitment kind of fits into that? Love is really um, not a, primarily a feeling. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's written in the form of a command. And some people look at that and say, Wait a minute. You know, how can you, God command us to feel a certain way right. about him? Yeah. I mean, how does that even work? Try that on the street. You know, you walk up to someone and say, okay, I command you to love me. <laughs> you know, that's not going to work. But that's not what he's saying. He's not commanding a feeling. Because biblically, love isn't primarily a feeling. It's a commitment. And it's a commitment reflected in actions of sacrifice to meet the needs of another person. If you look at John three sixteen. God so loved the world, started with God. God initiated, he made a commitment. God so loved the world that he gave an action, his only son, sacrifice, right? um, So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, our greatest need. If you look at 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know love. And it, it gives the same principles. So love is really a commitment reflected in actions of sacrifice to meet the needs of another person. And when God says you're going to love, you should, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, what he's commanding is for us to make that commitment that's reflected in actions of sacrifice. Now, the interesting thing about God is, what do you give to the God who made everything? <laughs> what, are, what are his needs? He doesn't need anything. So you know what God says? God says, love the ones that I love. Jesus said, here's the greatest, great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he says this, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is how we love God. Hmm. We make a commitment to God that's reflected and sacrificing to meet the needs of other people. And this is love. But it's not legalism. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a grateful response. So why do you, why do you think that is, that, um, that we as people tend to um, reverse, like, like you were mm-hmm. saying, like with, with good works, like mm-hmm. rather than thinking of them as an outpouring of, of what the Lord has done for us, we tend to slip into the mindset of I need to do these things in yeah. order to earn God's favor or, uh, or like with, or something yeah. like love, like, like thinking of it as an emotion rather than a, than yeah. an act that you do in service to the Lord. 
like why why because i know i do that I oh do yeah that. we all do everybody yeah. you know um like why do you think that is why do we slip into that all the time i think there's a fundamental question that's different in those two responses and the one is who is god grace is based on god being god and me not being god <laughs> right so it's like we depend on him we trust in him we love him but the first reaction when I have displaced God from the throne of my life is for me to do what God would do, and that is good work. That's works. That's doing. That's for me to try to do what really is for God to do. Right. So whenever God is not on the throne, we automatically degenerate into works, trying to do what only God really can do because right. we've displaced him from our heart. You know, so I think that's the fundamental question. So wherever the kingdom is, right, wherever the Lord is, is ruling and reigning, um, you'll find this different view that we're even in our own lives and the times in our life when God is not reigning in our, our life. Maybe he's there. Maybe we love him. Maybe we're saved. But at that moment, if we're honest, it's the most natural thing in the world to slip back into doing works and that kind of legalism. And that's the result of us making, taking God's place. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the end of our questions from Sunday. Um, we do have one question mm -hmm. that got brought up in the young adults, uh, home group last night. And that, uh, was, uh, do you think that the, COVID-19 pandemic and all the stuff surrounding it is a sign of the end times. I think it really could be. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a iffy answer. It's probably meant to be because the thing is there's, there's this teaching. It's called the, the imminent return of Christ that it could be at any time. And we have that sense now that we should always have that sense. Um, We've been technically, in the general sense, we've been living in the last days ever since Christ was raised and exalted. So from the time that Jesus was raised from the dead and exalted until his return is the last days. So we're in the last days. If someone were to ask us, are you, you think we're in the last days? Absolutely. Because hmm. uh, we have been for almost 2,000 years. <laughs> but, but usually what they're asking is, do you think we're in the days before the return of Christ? You know, right before his second coming. And I think we really could be. Mm. I really do. I don't know of any prophecy yet to be fulfilled that would keep Christ from coming back for his church. And I, I believe in this is probably another uh, talk we could have. I do believe in what's called the rapture of the church, mm. a pre-mill, pre-trib view of the end times that we could talk. But I just don't know of any prophecy yet to be fulfilled. The next thing on God's prof prophetic calendar, I believe, is once the restrainer is removed, it talks about in Thessalonians, then the man of sin will be revealed. Hmm. And what, I should probably know this, but what is the man of sin? He's the Antichrist, and he's God's the one who's going to appear and seem to have all the answers and uh, lead the world toward a one-world system. Um, but I, don't, I think it could be soon. But that being said, you know, God, this idea of the imminent return of Christ was meant to have an impact on us. Here's a verse that says, he who hath this hope within him purifies himself 
That's a great verse. You know, this hope that the Lord could come. So how do I act if I know the Lord could come today? I would, I want to live for Jesus today. I want my heart to be right today. I want to love him with all my heart today. And the whole point is we don't know. So we'll live like that every day. Yeah. You know, and that's the whole point. I, and I personally think that's why God didn't set the date in Scripture, right? Because, <laughs> okay, I have until this day to do what I yeah, want. You know what yeah, I mean? wait until the last minute, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it could be soon. Personally, personally, I think it could be very soon. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what's the time at? Oh, we're at uh, 28 minutes. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. Um, Yeah, there you go. She was saying she felt like there will be there won't be any question. Like the way she was wording it was like the rapture of the church. People won't be questioning it. Like it's just going to happen. So she's mm-hmm. like, so this person was saying she thinks that this is probably leading up to it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's leading up, but her perspective is like we're not going to be questioning. We're not going to be asking. It's just going to be this thing that we were not expecting at all. But but one thing about the rapture is there's going to be. A reason given for it. In other words, I believe when the rapture happens, you know, and the word rapture doesn't even occur in the Bible. Hmm. Uh, the, it's called the, the parousia, the catching away of the church. But the idea is that uh, when the church is taken out of the world, it's going to be a really definitive thing. Can you imagine you're in an airplane and maybe a fourth of the people on the plane are gone? Where could they have gone? Hmm. They're just gone. Or the pilot's gone. Or you're in, in, in traffic on I-35, and a quarter of the people are not in their cars anymore. I think it's going to be pretty obvious something happens, you know, but um, there'll be a deception for it. I, I know years ago among the like, New Age groups, they would say that God is getting ready for a next stage in the evolution of man. And soon that the people who aren't ready to go on to the next stage in the evolution of man are going to be taken out. Hmm. There's lots of explanations being given like that that would, you know. But anyway, but yeah, I think when the rapture happens, there's not going to be any. When people are just gone, they'll have to, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know that of any prophecy yet to be fulfilled before that happens, before the rapture. I, well, the one that was really a, a key one was nation, the nation of Israel being reformed. That was a key. And you look at that and you ask people what they believe about the nation of Israel, you can pretty much tell where they stand on prophecy. Hmm. That's such a key thing. But, you know, that generation not passing away before all those things be fulfilled is, is really, that's an important prophecy. Wow. An important prophecy. So I think that's a key one. Some people point to the idea that the temple would have to be rebuilt because the Antichrist goes into the temple and pro- proclaims himself to be God, but um, they're already making plans for rebuilding the temple. Yeah. But that doesn't have to be built before the rapture, just at the middle of the tribulation. Mm. So I, that's not a hindrance. So I don't know of anything that really, it could be today. I mean, before we're finished with the podcast. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it really could. So I mean... Which is exciting. But the, the key is, though, in all of that is what Paul said, that we're to love his appearing. Live so that we can love his appearing. Yeah. And not not yeah. dread it coming, I guess. Not dread yeah. it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. When my father would come home from work, right? My father worked construction. And when he'd come home from work, how I greeted him at the door depended on how I acted that day. <laughs> you know, what my mother had been telling me all day, wait till your father gets home. Wait till your I wasn't too anxious to see my father coming through the door. Mm. But when it had been a good day, right? When maybe I'd done something to make my father proud that day or tried to, mm. I ran to the door. Man, I just ran to the door. And I think that's what Paul's talking about. Live so that you'll be able to run to the door. Yeah. You'll be able to run to greet him. Yeah. Well, this is weird being in this seat I, now. <laughs> okay. okay. Is it good? Everything's going? Okay, so earlier you were talking about uh, love. Yeah. Loving our neighbors as ourselves and all that. So is it that like agape love? Yeah. Because there's like different, you know, you know this, but there's different definitions of love in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. So is that one talking about that one that comes from God? Yeah. You know, the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And it's not really a human kind of love, really. And, so, and um, In fact, some scholars think that that was primarily a Christian word. But the, the idea of that is this, it's God love, God's love that's expressed through us. And the reality of, of loving is nobody ever loves the way God intended without his help. True. And so, you know, that's why in, in a marriage, in any kind of relationship, just with other people, the best thing we can do is to love God. Just love him with all that's within us. Just love him with all of our heart. And then his love can be shared through us. Someone described it like a funnel one time. You know, where you know the more we give out the love of God and the more that's poured in. But the thing is... <laughs> the more what's being poured in is always so much more than what's being poured out. Yeah. Some people doubt their salvation because they're not loving other people, and there's nothing coming out of the funnel, mm -hmm. and so that things stagnate. They begin to wonder. Yeah. But the idea is, every time we love somebody else with God's love, it affirms the reality of that love in our life. It's just such an amazing thing. That is cool. Yeah. So, kind of in marriage, like I've noticed that in my own marriage too. It's like that love that. I need to have for my husband. Mm -hmm. It almost has to come from the Lord mm -hmm. or else it just kind of doesn't work out sometimes. Yeah. Or sometimes the things I do are just almost out of like selfish motive, mm -hmm. you know? But if I like am loving my husband the way that God had in, has intended it to be, mm -hmm. I feel like things turn out a lot better between yeah. us. <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's exactly right. It's God's love shed abroad in our hearts. Yeah. 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 I guess that was the only question I had. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but... Do you want me yeah. to do this outro thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, is that weird that for me to do it? It would be weird for me to come back. <laughs> okay. Do you want to, oh, how about, you want to pray? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that is the end of today's podcast. Thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, Pastor Jeff's going to pray us out, and yeah. then we will be finished. So. Man, thanks. And thank you all for taking the time to, to watch this. And I just want to say look to Jesus. Look to the Lord. Look to his word. Look to his word. Now let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks and we give you praise, Lord, that you are truly worth, worthy of our worship. There's not a moment that has ever existed in time where you weren't worthy of our complete devotion and all of our love. Lord, to think that your ways are so far above our ways and your thoughts above our, our thoughts, Father. And yet you notice us and you know us by name, and you love us. 
and you chose to give your son, your son for us. And then you didn't receive us as slaves, but as children and made us joint heirs with your son, Jesus. Lord, it is overwhelming. And I pray that everything that we do uh, would just be gratitude for that grace that you've shown to us. Lord, be with us and help us. I pray that um, all these things that we're going through would result in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you all so much again for tuning in. Um, I just want to remind uh, everyone, if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, or if you're ever watching the live stream services on Sundays on YouTube, Facebook, or the website, if you're watching it on YouTube and Facebook, uh, please comment any questions that you may have for the podcast. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, you know, related also to the sermon. Uh, it can just be any, any, question or, uh, any question that you want answered. And then if you're watching on the website, uh, go ahead and send your questions into info at fbckyle.com. Uh, but thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.